Well, there is a vast difference between a walk in your neighborhood park compared to that of a walk in the wild. A walk in the park is one where you will see ducks and perhaps a squirrel, maybe someone walking their dog. But there in the wild, you might see something far greater than a dog and certainly bigger than a squirrel something that might be far more deadly as well. I recall one time walking on a trail back when I first got married to Sarah. We were walking back in Montana to see a waterfall, and, and this waterfall was surrounded by cliffs and trees all around us and thick forests. And uh, there, when you parked, there was a sign close by it that said, Beware of Mountain Lions. And so, I did not walk like it was a walk in the park. I was watching forward, backwards, left and right, and not just there, but also up in the cliffs, curious if there was something else that was watching me as I walked. So let us consider the Christian walk this morning, this Christian life. What is it like? Is it like a walk in the park or a walk in the wild? Well, last week, Tate preached on our Christian walk in Christ, in verses 6 and 7 of our text, uh, he preached this, Therefore, as you received Christ Jesus the Lord, so walk in him, rooted and built up in him, and established in the faith, just as you are taught, abounding in thanksgiving. And our text this morning tells us more about this walk. And this time we're given a second command. We're not told simply to walk, but we're told to walk in a certain way as well. Look at verse 8. See to it that no one takes you captive by philosophy and empty deceit according to human traditions, according to the elemental spirits of the world, and not according to Christ. So it's important that we walk in Christ, but it's also important that we are watchful in our Christian walk. That's what Paul is telling us here. Be watchful. See to it as you walk, that no one takes you captive. The Christian walk is far more like a walk in the wild than it is a walk in the park. And so in light of this, we ought to consider one more question, not just simply whether or not our walk is like that of a walk in the park or a walk in the wild, but we should consider, are we watchful in our Christian walk? Or do we treat the Christian walk as if, as if it is simply another walk in the park, easy and simple, without any threats around us? Do you treat your Christian life as if there are dangers around you? Are you watchful? There in the woods I saw that sign, Beware of Mountain Lions. And so it is here in our text as well. We have a very similar warning. I'll put up the, the King James Version. It reads like this. Beware, lest any man spoil you. The Christian life it is no walk in the park. No, rather, it is like a walk in the wilderness where we ought to be watchful. We ought to beware. We ought to look about us left and right forward and backwards, up and down, lest there would be one who would take us captive for our destruction. 
there is a need for watching, and it's not just here in our text. Listen to how Peter similarly calls us to the same thing. First Peter 5, 8, he says, Be sober-minded, be watchful. Your adversary, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion seeking someone to devour. So here we're given two different commands. First, he tells us to be sober-minded. Now, this is the opposite of being frivolous, of having levity and, and no worry in the world at all. But there is supposed to be a seriousness here in our Christian walk. The kind of mindset that one would have when it is wartime, knowing that they are surrounded by countless enemies. We are to be sober-minded, and not only that, we are to be watchful. So here again, we see the similar command to what we have in this morning's text. To beware, to see to it, to have eyes that are open like a guard on a watchtower who knows that if he falls asleep, he may wake up to an army there at the gate. You know, see people ever walking across the street looking at their cell phones, not watching where they're going. Or perhaps even worse, people texting while they're driving. So it is, there are some even in the church who go on walking without watching where they are going. So it is, we must be watchful. And the reason here in Peter is because we have a very real enemy, the devil, who prowls around like a roaring lion seeking someone to devour. So here, once again, we are reminded we are in a very real wilderness with a very real enemy who is powerful, who will destroy you if he has the chance. And there's a similar command, once again, in our text this morning, as well as the similar reason for why the command is given. See to it that no one takes you captive. Hopefully you can appreciate the imagery that's being drawn here, as it is seen in countless other passages across Scripture, that we are like lambs, surrounded by starving lions who wish to pull us away from our shepherd, if you get the chance. And as Christ we are in this constant danger of being devoured by wolves. And so we ought to take this wilderness imagery to heart. Beware of lions and wolves. It is unfitting for us to be playful or sleeping when we are surrounded by such vicious beasts. And yet this is how we so often treat the Christian walk as if it is just a walk in the park, as opposed to a walk in the wild. So Christian, be watchful. Be on guard, like the guard in a tower who is watching out for an enemy who wishes to make their attack. Be watchful, like a mother who is crossing a busy intersection with her kids. Be watchful, like a traveler in the wilderness that is filled with wild beasts. But these aren't the things we're being watchful of. We're not afraid of an army. We are not afraid of cars. We are not afraid of animals. So what is it that we are watchful of? Is it a demon with horns and pitchforks? Or perhaps a serpent that slithers on his belly? Or perhaps even a wolf that will show its teeth? No, not exactly. These aren't the things that we are to be watchful of. Our, our enemy is far more cunning than this. 
Paul says, see to it that no one takes you captive by philosophy and empty deceit. Understand this. We must be watchful of cunning words. We must be watchful of philosophy and empty deceit. Understand what philosophy is. Philosophy is knowledge and wisdom. Philosophy is the, the discipline of gaining understanding. What Paul previously called plausible arguments in verse 4. These are words that sound good to the ear. They seem plausible to the mind. But Paul tells us that such philosophy is nothing more than empty deceit. He says it again in Colossians 2.23. These have indeed the appearance of wisdom. This philosophy. It seems wise in promoting self-made religion and asceticism and severity to the body, but they are of no value in stopping the indulgence of the flesh. And so this is what we are to be watchful of. We are to be watchful of the cunningness of our enemy's words that wish to lead us astray from the faith. And so we can see a similar command, once again, given by Paul to Timothy, the young pastor. Oh, Timothy, guard the deposit entrusted to you. So you can see the language there of that kind of watchfulness he is to have. Guard the good deposit entrusted to you. Avoid irreverent babble and contradictions to what is falsely called knowledge. For by professing it, some have swerved from the faith. But lest we think this philosophy, this pursuit of wisdom and knowledge that comes here from this enemy is all bad, understand Paul's aim is similar to that of what she is also warning us of. Philosophy itself is not evil. Wisdom itself is not bad. Remember what Paul is wanting, what he is laboring for in his writing to the Colossians. Colossians 2.2, we saw just a few weeks ago, he labors so that we would reach all the riches of full assurance of understanding and the knowledge of God's mystery. Understanding, wisdom, and knowledge, these are not bad things when they come from God. And so Paul, he also prays to this end in Colossians 1.9. And so from the day we heard, we have not ceased to pray for you, asking that you may be filled with the knowledge of his will in all spiritual wisdom and understanding. Understand what he's talking about here. He's talking about a true and real knowledge of God. A true and real knowledge that comes from having experienced him, not via through the philosophy of men, but through the divine revelation that comes from God. So it's not that philosophy itself is wrong, it's the certain type of philosophy that he's warning us of telling us to be watchful of. And he goes on further to describe this so-called wisdom. It is also called empty deceit. And such were the cunning words of the serpent there in the garden that promised to give wisdom and understanding and knowledge, but truly was nothing more than empty deceit. We read of it in Genesis 3. But the serpent said to the woman, You will not surely die. For God knows that when you eat of it, your eyes will be opened, and you will be like God, knowing good and evil. Once again, notice his words of wisdom, so-called word that is of wisdom, as well as his false promise, the empty words of increased wisdom and knowledge from the fruit 
and not from God. But we know how that ended up. These empty promises cause far more harm than good. And so it is, we too must be watchful of Satan's empty deceit because by his cunning, he wishes to take us captive. So how is it then that we will recognize such false wisdom, such empty deceit? We should know that it is not going to be so easy to recognize every time because he's not going to come in the same way to us today as he did to Adam and Eve in the garden, like a serpent crawling on his belly, telling us to eat fruit, although it might be similar, but it isn't the exact same way. Recall even when the enemy came to Samson, but this time not in the form of a serpent, but through Delilah. And even Samson, with all of his strength, was not strong enough to withstand the cunning words of this woman, for he did not watch where he walked but he instead laid down his guard. Understand, we need to know how our enemy seeks to trap us. We need to know how it is that he wishes to lure us away from Christ. You see, if a mouse trap didn't work, that cheese there on that spring-loaded trap, we wouldn't call it a mouse trap, and we wouldn't use it. And so too, if Satan's devices didn't work, he would not use them either. But unfortunately, Satan's snares work all too well, and he is far more crafty than we could possibly know. And he will do all that he can to seduce us into believing his empty words. For some, he will use our sinful pleasures that we long for and give us some notion of sloppy grace so that we might fall to his trap. But scripture speaks clearly to this. What then shall we say? Are we to continue in sin so that grace may abound? By no means. How can we who died to sin still live in it? Do you not know that all of us who have been baptized into Christ Jesus were baptized into his death? We were buried, therefore, with him in baptism into his death in order that just as Christ was raised from the dead by the glory of the Father, we too might walk in newness of life. Don't be deceived by the serpent if he says that it's okay to sin. No, he died so that we would walk in newness of life. For others still, Satan gives us religious regulations that have the appearance of true religion. This is what he used on the Colossians. And remember verse 23, these have indeed the appearance of wisdom and promoting self-made religion and asceticism and severity of the body, but they are of no value in stopping the indulgence of the flesh. And still for others, it comes through a love of doctrine. What's wrong with that? We love doctrine, and doctrine is good. Satan will use a love of doctrine, while all the while it is unaccompanied by a true love for Christ or our neighbor. So Paul even tells Timothy to be watchful all the more. Keep a close watch on yourself and on the teaching. Not just the doctrine alone, but the life itself that we live. These are but a few ways in which our enemy seeks to take us captive, but don't be fooled into thinking it is so easy to spot. Our Lord, he told us that these enemies will come dressed up like sheaves while being wolves. And so Paul, he picks up on this as well in 2 Corinthians. For such men are false apostles, deceitful workmen, disguising themselves as apostles of Christ. And no wonder, for even Satan disguised himself as an angel of light. 
So it is no surprise if his servants also disguise themselves as servants of righteousness. Oh, we must be watchful. It's far easier to spot a mountain lion than it is to this lion and these wolves who seek to make us their captive and drag us away from the fold of God. So in our text today, we see three ways in which we might discern the wisdom that is full of empty promises so as to whether we can trust it or whether we should avoid it altogether. Look again at Colossians 2a. See to it that no one takes you captive by philosophy and empty deceit. And he tells us one of the ways in which this comes. It comes in the way of human tradition, according to human tradition. And so be watchful of human tradition that promotes itself as wisdom from God when it only comes from man. We have to consider this this morning as well. The philosophy that we hold to. The things that we believe and the things that we would promote and the things that we would teach as well. Where does it come from? Does it come from a man? Just a mere man? But not from God and his word? If so, then know that you are giving way to a philosophy and empty deceit that seeks to take you captive and make shipwreck of your faith. Oh, but these traditions, they might come from wise teachers. They might come from those who are even accepted by most of our peers. But if it comes merely from the minds of men and not from God, then all the more you must be watchful. The Pharisees and the scribes themselves, they fell into this error. In a story recorded in Matthew 15, the Pharisees and scribes, they came to Jesus from Jerusalem and said, why do you disciples break the traditions of the elders, these traditions of men? For they do not wash their hands when they eat. Understand, kids, if your parents ever tell you to wash your hands before you eat, know this, this is not found in the Bible. These are traditions of men. Kids, keep reading. Your mom tells you to wash your hands. Listen to what Jesus has to say. He answered them, and why do you break the commandment of God for the sake of your tradition? For God commanded, honor your father and mother. And whoever reviles father or mother must surely die. But you say, if anyone tells his father or mother what you have gained from me is given to God, he need not honor his father. Once again, there's a tradition of man being promoted. So for the sake of your tradition, you have made void the word of God. You hypocrites. Well did Isaiah prophesy of you when he said, This people honors me with their lips, but their heart is far from me. In vain do they worship me, teaching as doctrines the commandments of men. Are you watchful of the commandments of men? Are you convinced that what you stand on is the undefiled doctrine that comes from the word of God and not the mere words of men? See, the scribes and Pharisees, they thought they had it right. But understand this. What they did not lack was head knowledge. These were the scribes and Pharisees. It's easy for us to read this and think, these are the bad guys. But the scribes and Pharisees were the men who knew the word of God. They knew the law of God better than you or me. So a lack of head knowledge was not their problem. 
And so, too, we can be filled with all kinds of knowledge of Scripture and even teachings from men who would teach the Scriptures as well, but be careful that we are not taken captive by mere human tradition that contradicts the Word of God. Let me preface with a few things here. I love that we are a Reformed church. I do. I love that we are serious about having sound doctrine. I love that we care about the way in which we worship. I even love the fact that we love old dead guys. <laughs> but none of these have any true value if we are not a true church that is built up on Christ and his word. Consider for just a moment, do men's fallible words hold higher value in your mind than God's perfect, undefiled word? You may love Calvin, but husbands, do you love your wives as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her? Because God's word calls us to that. So if you love Calvin, but you do not love your wife, then you are just as guilty as the scribes and Pharisees who held to the traditions of men while they disobeyed the word of God. Do you get excited about missions? Oh, I love missions, and I hope you do. But how earnest are you about loving your fellow neighbor, the one to whom you do know, the one whose face you might have even seen this morning. You may have a burning passion for true worship, and we ought to. But do we have a burning passion for man-made rules that impose different rules on the length of sermons, or perhaps the certain songs and melodies we would sing as opposed to others? How quick are we to divide Christ's bride over these trivial matters that are matters of our opinion and not matters of true, pure doctrine that comes from the Word of God. So often we muddy pure doctrine, this pure word of the gospel, with our own defiled ideas. But understand this. The Word of God, it is sufficient it is God-breathed and profitable for teaching, for reproof and correction and training in righteousness that the man of God might be complete and equipped for every good work. The word of God, it is sufficient for us. And this is a rich part of our own history. This is a rich part of the reformation of the church. We see it all the time, we talk about it, but sola scriptura teaches this very thing, that the authority does not come from the tradition of church, but the authority is in the word of God alone. So we must be watchful of human traditions, lest these same words that the Lord offered to the, the scribes and Pharisees are words that are attributed to us as well. May it not be said so that we are people who honor him with our lips, but whose hearts are far from him. May it not be said so that our worship is in vain because we teach doctrines 
as doctrines, the commandments of men. So let me ask, ask us this. Which of God's commandments do we make void because we have higher value in the traditions of men? This is a question worth careful consideration. And it's one we ought to be watchful of. Lest we are taken captive by our enemy. But let me put up some guardrails just briefly. Because we might think, see, one more reason why we should stop with the creeds and the confessions. Because these are from man. And while it's true, these are not of the same value as scripture. They are valuable to us insofar as they align with scripture and help us understand what it is that we believe. And the same can go for many other things. The same goes for the sermon I'm preaching right now or any other sermon for that matter. It's only profitable insofar as it lines itself up with Scripture. So whatever I say that does not line up with God's Word, get rid of it. And the same goes for our books and our podcasts and even our own friendly advice that we might offer to one another. Whatever advice a man gives you that does not line up squarely with the Word of God, get rid of it. I love it. Tate taught me this when I first came here. He has a proverbial red pen in his hand when he reads a book, and it's not a really red pen. He reads everything digital, and he crosses things out like crazy when it does not line up with the, the Word of God. We ought to test the things that we hear and test the things that we read, lest we be caught in the deceptive, empty promises of this philosophy. But again, do not throw out the traditions of the church. Paul tells us, and he commends it twice, using the very same word that we see here in this text. 1 Corinthians 11.2 Now I commend you because you remembered me in everything and maintained the tradition even as I delivered them to you. Do not think tradition is bad if the tradition comes from the word of God. And so again in 2 Thessalonians 2.15 So then brothers, stand firm and hold to the traditions that you were taught by us, either by our spoken word or by our letter. And so we do that. We hold firm to the tradition that is taught through the word of God. But all the same, we must be watchful. Watchful so that we would not abandon the faith that has been passed down through the scriptures for the cheap counterfeit of men's tradition. Let's keep going. The second thing we should be watchful of this philosophy and empty deceit, it comes according to human traditions, but not only that, it comes according to the elemental spirits of the world. So what is meant by elemental spirits of the world is a little bit less clear than the traditions of humans. So what is meant here? Well, we gain a little bit more insight if we continue into Colossians 2 just a little bit further. Paul says, if with Christ you died to the elemental spirits, there it is, the same exact word, the elemental spirits of the world, why, as if you were still alive in the world, do you submit to regulations? Then he's going to go on and list a number of regulations, but I'm not going to read it for today because that's not our text. But I think we can understand to one extent these elemental spirits of the world are regulations. They are, they are ways in which we have our religious tradition carried forth, again, that comes from man. This is how Calvin summed it up. He says that no doubt what is meant here is means of ceremonies. And so we can understand the elemental ceremonies from even reading what came before verse 20. 
verse 16 and 17 said, Therefore, let no one pass judgment on you in question of food and drinking with regards to festivals or a new moon or a Sabbath. Once again, you can see the ceremonies that they were following here, these traditions of men, these, these elemental spirits of the world. And you can even see the word elemental kind of even in the, the sense that they are more concerned about things that are created by God, that is food and drink. And even the elemental spheres in the sky, the stars and the moon and the days of the week and the Sabbath. But understand this, Colossians 2.17, these are a shadow of the things to come, but the substance belongs to Christ. So in one sense, the elemental spirits of the world are this means of reverting to old ways of religion that are intended to point us to Jesus. But that's not all they are. These ceremonies are, yes, man-made to some extent, but more than this, they are called elemental spirits of the world. That is to say, there are spiritual realities that are tied to these man-made rituals. In other words, they are demonic. They are like an idol. Made by man, yes, and yet no less demonic either. And so if we would turn to the traditions and ceremonies that are made by men and we do not listen to God, understand this. There is something demonic at play. And we see this even in Jesus' own encounter with one of his own disciples, who is far more eager to listen to the thoughts of his own mind than that of God. Jesus is revealing what is about to happen, Matthew 16, 21. He's about to go to the cross, and he's telling his disciples about this. So from the time Jesus began to show his disciples that he must go to Jerusalem and suffer many things from the elders and chief priests and scribes and be killed on the third day and be raised. Now, Peter did not like this. So Peter, he took Jesus aside and began to rebuke him, saying, Far be it from you, Lord, this shall never happen to you. But he turned from him and said, Peter, no, he did not say Peter, he turned from Peter and said, Satan, you are a hindrance to me, for you are setting your mind on the things of God, but not on the things of man. So understand, when he's setting his mind on the things of man, it is owing to the fact that Satan has put a deceptive seed in his mind that thought that it would be better for Jesus not to go to the cross than to die there for the sins of the world. <laughs> So we should understand that if our minds are set on the things of man rather than God, then it is owing to the fact that Satan has already ensnared us. So all the more, we must be warned. We must be watchful. We must see to it that no one takes us captive by philosophy and empty deceit according to human tradition, according to the elemental spirits of the world, and not according to Christ. Brothers and sisters, we must be watchful because our enemy seeks to separate us from the one who died so that we might be joined together with him. And there are many traps along the way that will hinder us from continuing in our Christian walk. And so, yes, we must walk in Christ, but it is not enough for us to simply walk. We must be watchful in our walk, lest we wander from Christ. We know what happens when a, a driver takes their eyes off the road. 
when I was a kid, I was busy riding my bike and talking to my friend, not watching where I was riding. And I ran right into my neighbor's parked car. So it is when we do not watch where we walk. If we are distracted looking to the left and to the right, but not on Christ, we will wander from him. So this is the overarching message that Paul wants the Colossians to see. He wants us to understand that Jesus is supreme. That he is fully sufficient. He is fully satisfying. Which means this. We are in him. We lack nothing. Human philosophy, which is nothing more than empty deceit, fails to make us full. It is like a bag of potato chips. <clears throat> Looks good and full. You open it up though, but it's just mostly air and it will only leave you wanting. But unlike human philosophy, Christ is fully sufficient and fully satisfying. Verse 9, for in him the whole fullness of deity dwells bodily. That is to say, Christ is God. Not a demigod, not 95% God, 5% man. No, he is fully God. And God was poured out into bodily form. This is a picture of the incarnation, that, that Jesus came taking on himself sinful flesh. Not that he was a sinner, but he came in the body like you and I possess. And yet still, here's the mystery. Somehow, though a man, though having put on human flesh, the fullness of deity dwelt in him. Remember this, that apart from Christ, we do not know God, not fully. Apart from Christ, we cannot see God, but God poured out his love on us in this, that he sent his son so that we might know him fully. This is Paul's aim. So from the day we heard, we have not ceased to pray, asking that you might be filled with the knowledge of his will and all spiritual wisdom and understanding so as to walk in a manner worthy of the Lord, fully pleasing to him, bearing fruit in every good work and increasing in the knowledge of God, being strengthened with all power according to his glorious might for all endurance and patience with joy, giving thanks to the Father who has qualified you to share in the inheritance of the saints in light. And this is all made possible because of Christ to whom the fullness of God was pleased to dwell. Oh, many things will offer us fullness, but understand this, human tradition cannot satisfy. It cannot fill you. Ceremonies cannot fill you. But only Christ Jesus can do so, and that is done through faith. Christ, he is the fountain of all wisdom and knowledge. He is the source of of all grace and all true religion has him as its foundation. Paul continues as well. He doesn't just say that the fullness of deity dwells in him bodily, but furthermore, 
You have been filled in him who is the head and rule of all authority. And so again, he is showing us that we ought not to submit to the authority of mere men. For Christ is the head of all rule and authority. We ought not to submit to the authority of spirits even, not even angels or demons. Sure, they may have power, but their power is only given through Christ, given to them from him who is the head of all. For all things were created through him and for him, that is Jesus. So understand this. Christ is sovereign over all. So do not submit to anyone except for him. And finally, those who are in Christ have fullness. For in him the whole fullness of deity dwells bodily, and you have been filled in him who is the head of all rule and authority. And so understand this, Christian. If you are in Christ, then you lack nothing. John 1.16 tells us, For from his fullness we have all received grace upon grace. If you want grace, do not depart from Christ. If you want grace, do not look to the left or to the right. If you want power and strength to obey God's word, do not submit to rules and regulations. If you want grace to cover sin, do not depart from him. But instead, cling to Jesus, for he alone is fully sufficient and fully satisfying. So be watchful. See to it that no one takes you captive by philosophy and empty deceit. But when Satan comes, may our word be the same as Peter's. When he holds us to depart from Christ, may we say, Lord, to whom shall we go? You have the words of eternal life, and we have believed and come to know that you are the Holy One of God. Let us believe that today and cling to him and not depart from him. Let's pray.